our record, the Digital Gangster album had like mm-hmm. eight people on it. And then if we wanted to like take it off Spotify, everyone would have to vote. Like that could be a way of looking at it. Uh, agree. Let's say that we uh, distributed tokens based on word count or something. Like you and me would obviously be able to influence the DAO, uh, you know, rather effectively, right. you know, Kayflay maybe get to say on her song or something like that. But that, yeah, that there's just a, a huge, um, that that's like where I'm saying about the concentration of like the voting power and tokens. If we gave everybody equal say in it, then you also have the, um, you know, int 80 could, uh, you know, keep be the d- dissenting vote that keeps us from, you know, removing ourselves from Spotify. So, so right, 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 yeah, right. That, uh, but the the programmatic nature of it, or the fact that it's done, you know, there isn't anything really arbitrary. It's all very deterministic. Like the types of behavior that a uh-huh. a, a DAO has is is interesting because that yeah, you 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 take that human element out of it of let's say greed. You're tuned to the Rcast, where we talk about the blockchain on the Rcast. And how your data remains cast. Where our drive is the topic Censorship resistant permanence Yeah, we got it What's up, friends? It's Andrew from our drive Back with another episode of the Rcast. This is episode 9 with YT Cracker Who is a nerdcore pioneer A hacker, an artist, a producer, a father And a cool guy So I really enjoyed this conversation And it was nice connecting with an old friend a lot of exciting news in the R-Drive world. We have the March Bounty, and the theme is Ukraine. So we want to have our theme be anything related to Ukrainian history, culture, first-person accounts of what's going on. And uh, be sure to check out the R-Drive Valet page. Basically, you can hire us to upload your files permanently and save a bunch of steps. We'll be dropping a video on that soon. Check out the video I did for BT, who's a EDM artist who released a new project via R-Weave called The Orbs. Finally, if you have R-Drive tokens, make sure you have them locked on Community XYZ. We have a DAO governance vote coming up. The big ones are always on the first of the month. The small ones are every Wednesday. And finally, sign up for the newsletter. The new one goes out February 28th. This is my interview with YT Cracker. This week on the Rcast, I've got a friend, collaborator, musician, rapper, hacker, entrepreneurial guest who has been in the blockchain space like before anyone I knew was in the space. He was in it. His rap name is YT Cracker. His government name is Bryce Case Jr., but I know he doesn't trust the government, so... How you doing, MC Lars? How did we meet, man? Because I think this is like interesting because all my other guests on this show I'm hosting aren't people I've made records with or toured the country with mm-hmm. or even the world. <laughs> yeah. So how do we meet? How did we meet? That's a great question. It must have been at like Comic-Con or Nerdapalooza. I was thinking it was Comic-Con uh, with the Aquabats and the Yo Gabba Gabba folks. Um, 2007. Uh, somewhere around there. Yeah. Me- the but memory then- gets a little fake. It's not on the blockchain, so it's a little bit, uh, we can't verify <laughs> the dates exactly. <laughs> uh, that That sounds about right. Um, but because we toured, we did when we did that long tour with Frontalot in two thousand eight. Eight, correct. Uh, so and we would we, we did the G yeah. four stuff. I think the G four stuff was around two thousand seven. Uh, there, there was there was just a whirlwind of of things, but uh, I'm I'm pretty sure that our the IRL started. Uh, 
Yeah, in oh, 2007. Seven. Yeah, that's that sounds about right. Because we're roughly the same age, and uh, all of a sudden, like people who don't know, not to get too inside baseball, like nerdcore briefly became this like press phenomenon where like, oh, nerdy people rapping about technology. This is different. And this guy, MC Frontalot, coined it. This guy, MC Chris, who did cartoon voices for um, Adult Swim, popularized it. And then they were like, well, who else is in the scene? And so there was me doing my literature raps. And then there was the rapper from Colorado who hacked NASA satellites <laughs> and 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 defaced government sites who who was like the mysterious dude who rapped over Nintendo Beats. And that was you. And it was like, oh, it was like, well, it's obviously we had to team up and make a record together because, I don't know, it just felt like fate. Um, so it was like faded. Marriage of styles, marriage of uh, content, all, all the above. Yes, indeed. Not to incriminate yourself, but <laughs> what are some of the things you did around that time? I think the statute of limitations is up on on most of those things, but uh, but yeah, I've I've always kind of uh, treaded the the line, um, somewhat chaotic neutral in in alignment. Um, I, but everything really, a lot of the money that I made in that period of time was um, from uh, spamming uh, cam sites uh, and also. Uh, bizop leads like uh, diet pills, um, you know those those types of things. <clears throat> uh, but a lot of the ability to do that was subverting security controls that sites had, uh, y- as far as rate limiting or account creation, um, like mitigating the ability to you know create accounts and and stuff like that. So there was the hacking element was sort of outsmarting and staying a step ahead of the services that we were attacking. Um, but then, you know, largely there was also this hacktivism aspect of stuff uh, was involved in, you know, things like the Occupy movement, uh, which uh, obviously uh, didn't achieve its intended goal. <laughs> um, things, uh, all the anonymous, you know, type hype stuff that was sort of going around the, the turn of the last decade, uh, I was pretty involved in. Um, but yeah. Just uh, using computers to affect change on the universe uh, the best we can, I think, is pretty much the primary motivation. Well, that was what was so dope about getting to know you because, like, I obviously came up with a background in the whole, like, 19th century transcendentalist movement that, like, endless possibilities are what drive the human spirit and people like Emerson and Thoreau were so enraptured by all the possibilities of like the adolescence of the American dream. And that's what I feel like hip hop in a postmodern way, like remix that mission statement, but you came at it from like a similar perspective and just like Tupac had thug life tatted on his stomach, you had nerd life on your stomach. Like you kind of took some of his sort of like the way Tupac channeled Kerouac and like the energy of the post-World War II American bohemian dream and the way he remixed that with like the gangster aesthetic and like the style and the flavor, you brought that to your flow and your story, but you kind of were connected to this world I didn't really know about, kind of like the crypto anarchist movement and like, who's the guy who, who, ha- who said that line about the beauty of the bod that you referenced in your rhyme? Oh, that's uh, Lloyd uh, Blankenship. Um, it was from the mentor's last words. 
It was a publication in uh, 1986. Uh, it was a, a huge BBS text, uh, but it had to do about, um, you know, hackers being ad, uh, admonished for um, just their curiosity. Their crime of curiosity is, is kind of what, what it comes down to. Is that A lot of, well, I mean, now you can get cybersecurity degrees. <clears throat> you can go to school and, and uh, you know, get a master's degree in, in hacking. But uh, when... I was part of an era where coming up where like that type of curriculum wasn't really offered. You had to be self-taught and, and uh, learn things on your own. And in order to learn some of the darker side of things, it's, it's not something that was readily published in, in books and stuff. So you had to kind of crawl for that information. And then also a lot of self-discovery was important. Um, One of the things that you'd you'd said about Tupac though, like uh, that, um, that, you know, in my opinion, like, I, I don't know if it's a popular opinion at all, but if you like, look at older Tupac videos, uh, you, you know, he's a very erudite individual, like super into poetry. Uh, it's, there's this whole kind of life imitates art sort of thing where, you know, he embodied like what is thug life. But I, I honestly think that <clears throat> at his core, uh, you know, he was a, a, a nerd, a theater nerd, a literature nerd, and, and and all that stuff. And so, a part of that, you know, it said it lends itself to the, the curiosity of the the human mind, and that's I think that's part of the the hacker ethos in a sense is um, you know again learning, discovering, challenging yourself, all that stuff. And you were the first like person to really write like rhymes and make albums about this stuff and since we toured extensively like around the world i would hype your lyrics so i'd learn your lyrics and so like i'd learn things i'd learn stuff about like hacking and tech stuff from your lyrics because i'd be performing your songs with you and that's like a great teaching tool and it's interesting how you had this whole community of people and you still do who like who like gravitated towards your style because it was so unique and you did songs for that what was that movie that ha- what was the hacker wars movie hacker wars yeah as a documentary about some of that anonymous lulsec stuff that was going on um i said at, at the turn of last decade but i i get you know, the fan mail a lot of it that i get some of it you know people have had come into my music completely with almost no information technology training at all and then they've used it as a basis for you know uh, learning about how just uh, Googling my lyrics and then eventually you sort of learn these techniques and procedures and tactics and stuff that, uh, that emerge out of it. And so that's always been something very interesting to me that, you know, music is a communicative tool. Uh, you obviously are, you know, hugely, um, uh, academic and educational in a lot of your lyrics and stuff. I, you probably bring a lot of people, the joys of 19th century literature <laughs> in the way that you do, uh, I think that's a super cool medium to expose that stuff, though. It's like, yeah, KRS-One and the whole edutainment thing. Like, lyrics can, I mean, you can t- learn so much from a song that, that like, you can't less necessarily learn from a book. Like, I love listening. These days, when I jog and exercise, I always put on the Whitey Cracker Probably like once a once every two weeks, I'll have a Whitey Cracker running day where I'll just do shuffle and I'll listen to your stuff and it'll be like educational and fun and different. But I'll learn little things like one of the ones that stuck in my head is the Bitcoin Baron. I'm a Bitcoin Baron. I'm scaring the status quo. What's the next line? Got the algo. 
get, they got the crypto dough and that doubt filed the blow. <laughs> Algorithm gonna get him into prison, send us all to prison. That's a that's dirty a dirty living. living. And then what's the uh, what's the uh, pump and dump bump spread from the dark web? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, hash function pumping and dumping, manipulate the market, flood it from the dark net. Uh, <laughs> and then, but like, so Bitcoin Baron, that was the first rap song that. I'd heard anyone rap about Bitcoin. And you were telling me like, yo, Lars, Bitcoin, that's what's up. And everyone was like, ah, well, we'll see. And so people like you who were like up on it, it was cool because it was an educational tool. I remember I asked you in like 2017, I was like, yo, Whitey Cracker, is now a good time to buy Bitcoin? And you're like, it's always a good time to buy Bitcoin. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What brought you into the blockchain sphere from like the hacking world you were in? Um... So, uh, uh, some of the, I guess, the technological aspects of it had sort of made the rounds, and there was whispers uh, on the digital gangster board and stuff. It, it, it in within the cypherpunk community and hacker community, um, it's really odd because a lot of hackers didn't really trust it. You know, naturally, just the natural cynicism of uh, of hackers uh, lends itself to to be a little skeptical of these you know, trustless systems and everything. Um, yeah. But looking into it, uh, it was actually my friend, Phil, uh, Phil 21. I shout him out in the song, but he had really, really broken down kind of everything uh, that he was, he'd, he'd been a miner and uh, basically uh, elucidated the entire kind of concept of Bitcoin and blockchain and stuff to me. And then I did, you know, obviously my own, uh, secondary research and and stuff but uh, luck i think a lot of it just being so close to uh the community that would adopt such a thing uh was part of why i uh i had the first mover advantage in that sense uh but the technology in and of itself is just a very fascinating one um there was a long considered intractable problem in computer science known as the byzantine generals problem uh, and the way that it focuses on like designing trustless systems, uh, or, or it blockchain technology, like emerged from the solution, uh, that the elegant solution that was in the white paper. And so that's the basis for pretty much all most, well, most blockchain technology today, there's been some different advances on, on how it's done, uh, like differences between proof of work and proof of stake type things. But, yeah. uh, yeah, that a lot of the conceptual understanding of that technology, <clears throat> it's hard to grasp. Uh, I, I'm sure I sounded like I was in a cult when I was talking to you uh, about it, or about it, really to anybody. I mean, it, when I first kind of learned about it, I just was evangelizing it super, super hard because uh, I just saw the the value um, in in what it what the problems that it solved. Well, and you. It seems like from my learning of it, like I've I've gotten more into it these past few years, it seems like it came from a two-pronged thing, like Satoshi's white paper, like the first being the recession, right? Like being on the edge of the reset end of the recession and like not trusting the centralized financial system. And you were doing stuff with Anonymous, which was also about like Occupy Wall Street and like connections with that, being like this whole generation of people who didn't necessarily trust what had happened before. And those two things kind of like, I don't know, you were up on both of those threads. That was part of your journey, part of your story, part of your unique narrative. And then all of a sudden this technology came that kind of 
offer solutions. And so it, it kind of was like faded that you would be an early evangelist. But did you like, did you feel like it fixed similar problems that you felt like government and society were face like we were facing or did you have like a political connection to it? I guess that's what I'm wondering, like blockchain technology in general. I think th- my core fascination with it was the technology uh, and that a byproduct of the f- way the technology functioned. Uh, that's where sort of the political um, epiphany c- came in, into play uh, that uh, I've I have I've had a lot of experience with banks uh, that have been largely negative, uh, and I'm sure that most people in the world have uh, at this point. And there's a with great power comes great responsibility uh, factor in Bitcoin uh, and blockchain in general is that you know you are empowered to be your own bank. Uh, so with that. Uh, requires security controls and 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 i mean i think the same was true maybe in the beginning of bitcoin like with mount gox and stuff but that most people that are buying crypto on Robinhood, for instance are getting they're just trading in derivatives like they're not really they don't really own the crypto that they have and stuff but mm-hmm. you know i that there's a saying uh, a maxim that if it's you know if you don't have the keys you don't have the crypto type thing so largely i would say most hobbyists are just leaving their money on exchanges and stuff uh but to be able to actually have some sort of financial instrument that you can remit anywhere in the world within minutes uh without like under the cover of uh, law enforcement or um, government oversight or anything like that is it is it's a very beautiful uh, thing. It's it's taking that power back, um, and I, I guess the freedom that sort of comes from that privacy that you're not being tracked uh, with the types of things you're purchasing, even if it's totally benign. You know, obviously, you go to Walgreens, CVS, Target, and, and they they keep a laundry list of the types of things that you've been purchasing and, and stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that some of those, uh, there's been stories even uh, like where Target, I, I, I'm I'm probably going to botch the story, but they were able to anticipate that this this girl was pregnant. Do you remember this that story? Uh, based on her purchases or whatever, they had determined that she was pregnant. Um, you know, there's just a lot of uh, again, and, and some of it's very helpful because, y- you know, you do want ads and things curated towards your purchasing habits uh, just to ensure that, you know, you're not getting a bunch of things that you don't want. So there's a, I mean, there is a commercial value to that type of thing, but that some things, you know, you don't really want out in the open, I'm assuming. Like it, uh, privacy is something that people say, well, I have nothing to hide, but it's super important just to maintain that self-autonomy uh what is that is that john uh who not, not who, who is Locke? who is not john Locke was from lost uh who, <laughs> Tom, right. thomas Paine. but who was who was what was Locke's first name what john Locke. john Locke. it was it was john Locke. yeah it was john Locke. okay because i was like i thought that was the guy from lost but yeah that's right okay good and then, yeah lost and lost had like there was a character named rousseau which was the character about this the social contract and john Locke was about right like preserving life, liberty, and the pursuit of property, property right? Yeah. Which is like that autonomous, being autonomous. I always hear the term being self-sovereign a lot in, with 
with blockchain people. Are, do you feel like that's an ultimate goal for it? So, I mean, there's a there's a bunch of the self-sovereignty movement, anarcho-capitalist, uh, these types of philosophical um, sort of buzzwords that have been bastardized in, in some way uh, that, I, you know, I'm not entirely a statist. Uh, I'm probably identify most politically as libertarian, but more of a social libertarian. It's, it's an odd juxtaposition uh, that government... Um, you know, in all forms, like I, I do think that the private sector does things better, um, uh, in, in largely, uh, that part of the, the crony capitalism, the, the way that the regulatory system is set up, uh, it actually favors kind of these, the, the, it favors the types of environment that where a free market doesn't really exist, uh, that there are kind of, it, it plays favorites, uh, in a way that, is detrimental to um, actual like free market, keeping prices down, avoiding monopolies like that, those types of things. So uh, there, but the function of government, I think is important. Infrastructure, defense, you know, you need certain mm-hmm. safety considerations uh, and Bitcoin <laughs> blockchain technology, as much as it would like to, does not solve some of that stuff. But one of the interesting things that emerged with uh, Ethereum especially was the concept of smart contracts, which, you know, uh, you and I could enter into a business together and uh, we could basically have a computer manage our, a robot basically managing our company to where neither of us could disperse, uh, you know, X amount of funds without both you and me signing off on it. Uh, No one can abscond with all of the reserves in the company account type thing that these smart contracts can probably be extended to other governance models uh, within government. Things like also things like uh, deeds to property and stuff can can be translated onto the blockchain. And and so, so there's, there, there are these, I guess, use cases where they would help augment the state in a way. Um, but this self serenity thing I said is a little unrealistic. Like even though Americans, we love our guns and, you know, uh, we love being gangster with them. Uh, it doesn't necessarily, uh, but you know, that uh, we, there's still utility in having some sort of government representational government. Um, so I, I wouldn't say that I'm completely, uh, f- you know, for the movement as it's, as it's represented. So you wouldn't be a, would you consider yourself a Bitcoin maximalist or no? No. Um, largely there's projects that have a lot of very, um, wordy salad, uh, type white papers and, you know, they promise this and promise that and stuff. And uh, I would say 99% of those things, that's just a, like a, a spitball number, but just a ton of blockchain projects are, are money grabs and they're not necessarily, uh, in the spirit of what Bitcoin is. And, um, that I appreciate the decentralized nature of coins. Uh, so, you know, obviously, like when when yeah. Ripple came out, you know, as a cent- I can see the value of a centralized blockchain for sure, but it doesn't scratch the same itch. I think that the you know uh, decentralized um, uh, nature and distributed nature of uh, what blockchain was intended to be as a you know it's fault tolerant, it's redundant. Like there's no um, 
single point of failure type thing like that that those those are the the things about the technology that i i really identify with what's tight about our drive is it has this thing called the dao which is like the decentralized autonomous organization where people can like vote on the future of how our drive uses the our weave protocol and i think the dao thing is really cool because it's like a democratic way to involve people it kind of skirts around like the idea of being self-sovereign because it, as a group everyone works together and makes choices on what's best about the project. I would say that there are DAOs that are done correctly and then other ones that are absolutely not, uh, you know, they're just rug pulls. With blockchain, it's largely unregulated and it's it's highly misunderstood by a great deal of people. So as a result, you're not going to, it doesn't have the same amount of due diligence or um, like there's just too, too much misinformation that's kind of out there. But that the, uh, that's exactly kind of ex- extension of what I was telling you about, like the business that you and I would start, like, you know, instead of just you and me, like we can scale that to thousands of people. And then, you know, everybody can have some sort of investment, you know, uh, interest in the, you know, you could run it like more like a credit union yeah. where like, cause in a credit union, everybody, their, their contribution to the credit union is like the $35 that you deposit. <clears throat> and then anything over that is just, uh, um, is just icing on the cake for, you know, they can still use stuff with it, but your buy-in, your equity in the union is, is all equal. Whereas a bank like Wells Fargo or Bank of America, you know, they pay more attention to you, the more money that you're storing. Our record, the Digital Gangster album had like Mm -hmm. eight people on it. And then if we wanted to like take it off Spotify, everyone would have to vote. Like that could be a way of looking at it. Uh, Agree. Let's say that we distributed tokens based on word count or something. Like you and me would obviously be able to, influence the DAO, uh, you know, rather effectively, right. you know, Kayflay maybe gets a say on her song or something like that. But that, yeah, that there's just a, a huge, um, that that's like where I'm saying about the concentration of like the voting power and tokens. If we gave everybody equal say in it, then you also have the, um, you know, int 80 could, uh, you know, keep be the d- dissenting vote that keeps us from, you know, removing ourselves from Spotify. So, so right, right, right. Yeah, right. That, uh, but the the programmatic nature of it, or the fact that it's done, you know, there isn't anything really arbitrary. It's all very deterministic. Like the types of behavior that a uh-huh. a, a DAO has is is interesting because that yeah, you 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 take that human element out of it of let's say greed. You know, like where, you know, with the contract is not only inked in paper, it's ironclad on this distributed blockchain so that you, no one can do any really funny business outside of the scope of the contract unless there's some holes in it that haven't been audited properly. The fact that it's like prescribed, deterministic, that's a great way to put it. The music industry is very much not that because suddenly a platform can come along that like takes all your, all your rev- streaming revenue, but puts you on everyone's like TikTok app on mm-hmm. the homepage. And so like the question two rappers would be like, two artists would be like, okay, well, do we want this or not? And like, if, if someone has the control of the copyright, they can say yes, but the other person might be like, yo, I'm not, that's not tight. So I think that like web three ideally solves a lot of the problems that web two gave us. And you and I coming up in that world of old school social media and, and like the starting out with web one as ways to promote our music. It solves a lot of those Issues. Hopefully, that's me being optimistic. Would you agree that it's? Uh, well, I don't have the same. Like, I, I don't think 
I, I think there's a hybridized approach. Like, I don't think that Web3 and, you know, the NFT space and all this stuff is a, is a panacea for the types of ills that musicians suffer from or, or whatnot. That I, I think it's interesting, the appropriation of a lot of this technology in the creative space is super cool. Um, that, you know, it's not something I think traditionally was a use case at all. Uh, but, yeah, like, there's... Uh, the Dead Mouse just launched a DAO. Um, I forgot what it's called, um, but it's it, it's a music industry related DAO that's um, uh, like attempting to uh, do some governance, <laughs> like some uh, industry governance type yeah. thing. That there is that it's it's there is this empowerment, like I was talking about before, that you know, being your own bank and 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 being your own like the arbiter of your destiny that uh, I, you're going to see a power shift away from a lot of these, you know, centralized organizations. And then it becomes more of these, uh, you know, unionized, I guess, for lack of a better term, um, uh, people. And if enough, like, you know, large artists, large organizations, you know, pair with smaller indie people and, and, and make these equitable transitions into, uh, uh, you know, into some blockchain stuff, then uh, yeah, we will see a paradigm shift. But uh, I, I, I just don't think that the old model is necessarily going to get sunsetted anytime soon. Uh, oddly enough, yeah. like it's because uh, th- there's other, you know, m- more infinitely more famous than you or I musician friends that I have that uh, there's been a lot of a huge push towards people actually buying entire catalogs Um of our artists back. I, I don't right. know if you've heard about this or if it's happened to any of your homies. Um, but uh, <clears throat> yeah, that, uh, you know, like some of the larger electronic artists I know, uh, you know, have done things where they're selling their entire catalog for just a, a, a set price. But then, you know, they, now their stuff can get used on, you know, Swiffer commercials and uh, Burger King or whatever else there's that they kind of lose that, I guess, creative control, but that there's these gigantic payoffs that are happening, you know, where it's like buying, you know, if you're an insurance agent, people buy your whole book or, uh, uh, what else would be another, um, like financial planner type thing that there's that music in a, in a whole, like is, is very weird. The, the space is just, uh, interesting that there's just like touring artists and stuff that are opting to just sell their entire catalogs, uh, they can still make new stuff and they still have the right to perform it, but yeah, uh, they're just taking the payday. So um, those are some things that I think that you could actually solve through uh, some blockchain type things where you could have DAOs that are buying up, you know, the Beatles back catalog or Michael Jackson or whatever. What is your feeling about the NFT space? Like, have you done Whitey Cracker NFTs? I haven't done an NFT yet. Um, I've been getting harassed to do them there actually is uh, what's funny is bitcoin baron uh actually is an og nft on the bitcoin blockchain the what i think is cool about nfts uh is more the certificate of authenticity uh sort of thing that it, it provides um it, with pro- provenance like you have this yeah. chain of custody there's just it has a lot of the benefits I see are there and not so much in the NFT itself. So I, I like to see NFT projects that have a meat space component to them. The main thing that I see on Twitter is people are like, oh, why don't you just do save as and save the save the image? Who cares? I don't you need to pay 10 grand for this monkey gif like or whatever. Right. Like that's the but like you're talking about like the proprietary ownership and showing the chain and the authenticity. And that's what I think is tight about. Are we even like the R drive? 
technology is that like, okay, I can make an atomic NFT and you own, not only do you like own the song, you also own the file. You can, I mean, you could print a fucking Monet. You could like scan the Mona Lisa or whatever. It doesn't necessarily mean in the same way that people thought that Bitcoin was funny, you know, that it's just these zeros and ones being, you know, thrown around the internet and somehow are worth, you know, something in the real world. NFTs have that same, uh, I guess, problem that uh, is associated with their just functionality and, and, and what the asset represents. It that People, I think, who get it in the space see it differently. I personally, though, and there, there, there obviously is rumblings, and people do understand this. That I, 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 I and I'm not going to like name names or snitch or anything like that. But there, are, there are large opportunities for uh, the NFT space to launder art, launder money in the same way that traditional art has been used. What's interesting about you and I learning for years how to do this, how to be independent, how to make a living rapping on the road, selling T-shirts. And I think about like if that first tour we did with Friend a lot, the nine weeks of of just chaos and just sleeping on the floor and just just annoying <laughs> yes. those guys with our, with our antics. There is value in in those mementos and stuff. And, and as we've progressed as a more digital society, I mean, our generation is kind of the this. We saw the you know birth of the two way pager and the you know instant messaging and broadband internet. Like we were the probably the last ones on the cusp of this you know, like my daughter grew up completely differently. You know, she doesn't know a lot of that, you know, remember hotline, the red H was incredible. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> the, there's just so much of this. Uh, that's a lyric to it. That's by the way, Whitey Cracker just quoted one of my lyrics back at us. So <laughs> yes, I had to, had to do it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that, that uh, you could actually clout chase it in a way, like you said, that if I, yeah. if I have this NFT from this uh, seminal tour or whatever, and then I trade it to somebody, you know, as a collectible, uh, that, I mean, they still can't front like they were there because the blockchain shows this chain of custody that it, it changed from its original owner. But there's, right. there probably are collectors and stuff like that that would want to, you know, again, some nerdcore historian, uh, you know, and, 40 years or whatever uh you know may may wish that they had all these little uh idiosyncratic pieces of our history do you feel like in 100 years people will look back and be like man this is when it became possible to document this is this really going to really solve this issue of like the orwellian dystopian rewrite history again i believe in you know free access to the internet and data and, and all these kind of hacker concepts that have come out for a long time, but provided the human race doesn't destroy itself and we love each other and, and, you know, we become spacefaring and all this type of stuff and this technology just continues to grow, then, you know, the optimist in me would say that, yes, like this will persist, uh, you know, intelligently. And, you know, as the way that you're talking about it is a way to subvert, you know, oppression and some censorship and stuff, I think is the more important, you know, clause. It's not necessarily whether or not the data is preserved for all eternity, uh, you know, until the heat death of the universe, but more so that those that should have access to this data do have access to this data and it's, it's available to them. It's like the philosophy of it continues to work well. And you're, you're someone who's, I feel like you, even though I don't know if you're a black hat or white hat, you do a lot of good for educating people. You know what I'm saying? You know, I don't have much of a reason to pull capers and commit crime. Like I, I need my Danny Ocean moment where there's, you know, if I need to build a gang together and do some gangster shit, then I can do it. But yeah, more or less like now, like I, I leave it 
you know, it's a, it's a young man's game. Like I love seeing the youngins <laughs> come up and, you know, it's good to mentor the young criminals of tomorrow, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> your site is what young internet on, uh, yeah, he's dope. I, I fucking love young internet like that. He's so sick. Yeah. That, I mean, and he's, you, you've done stuff with him, right? You have like a few tracks. With yeah. Him? Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't even call him my protege. Like he, he, he's definitely that fool's tight. He's super tight. He's one of my, he, like, I know he was a, a, a like a, a fan and stuff, but I'm like one of his biggest fans probably like, uh, I just, he, he, He's what I wish I was in a way. Like just, it's like this. You like open the door for all these fools, dual core. I mean, I know people be like, oh, David build his own career. Okay, he did. But like Mega Ran even gives you props for like showing him you could sample NES games. Um, you kind of allowed me to spread out into these more like political technological themes that are that were beyond like what I was doing. So it's interesting how you, you make waves in the way that you influence people and the way you're like inspired by the next generation. And I don't know, I feel like we're both fathers. Now your, your daughter's older than my son, but like I'm optimistic about the future and I'm optimistic when I see videos of you rocking thousand seat clubs with theaters with dead mouse. Like it always makes me happy that you're, <laughs> you're still grinding and still killing it. What's good with when? When can we see you next doing shows with Dead Mouse? Because like that's a dope part of your story now that you rap with him constantly. We're just buddies, I would say. Humble brag. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I mean, it's it's cool and all, but like I don't that again. Like I'm in a p period in my music. Like I I would love to go out on tour with you guys again. I think that that'd be fun. Um, that would be tight. It's different, right? Like then you rapping for like 5,000 seat theater over a dead mouse beat. They're there to see dead mouse. But like, if you're on a nerdcore club tour, it's like, Oh shoot. Whitey cracker. What? No, but uh, it, it's more like 60,000 people. It oh, was like, it, it, we're doing, yeah, I did red rocks, uh, a, a few weeks ago. Um, but yeah, like nocturnal wonderland. Like, so it's kind of like, you know, your warp tour days, uh, type thing. You know, you know, yeah, or the, here's the other funny story. When, uh, I know this is like people, people listen to this podcast to hear about, <laughs> web three and here we are talking about our little music industry victories this is the last one this is a great story the time you got ed sheeran into a weedish show and now you're always on the ed sheeran guest list yeah yeah well, actually uh you know crypto cobain uh, so kobe he's like a he's a very famous uh, your listeners will definitely know who he is <laughs> he's just like friends with a lot of people in the in the london music scene and ed sheeran like used to stay on his couch uh, and but they wanted to go to a Weedis concert, and so I put him, I put Jordan on the list, and then Ed was his plus one. Okay. So like okay, Ed okay. went from plus one on a Weedis guest list <laughs> to largest artist in the world, which is <laughs> fucking great. Uh, With Crypto Cobain, that's kind of like a metaphor for something. I don't know. I, I would research, you know, how to maintain and keep your coins yourself secure stored on you right. you know like that you you possess like on a trezor ledger hard wallet or you know some air gapped you know netbook or something like that where that you know because again if the exchange goes down or whatever you're just numbers in a database at that point but if you actually have the private keys that are associated with your coins then you do own it and uh that's that's where the real wealth is that's it yeah like doing getting that ledger nano x and then if you have an Elipol mnemonic metal wallet that you store in a vault, that might be a solution. I don't know. You can, yeah, you can do the paper wallet thing. Yeah, that, that's, those are the, but that's how you own, you know, tr like really own your coins. Like this, like I said, this Robin Hood's derivative trading shit is just like, 
Get out of here with that. Miss me with yeah, that. Miss me with that hood. bullshit. Yo, you rob from the you rob from the poor and steal to the rich, Robin Hood. Yeah, I'm not feeling I'm that. Not feeling it at all. <laughs> Zero. If you want to store your files, you know, on our drive, that's what's up. I, um, I really think it's amazing and awesome. Uh, you were talking about the, the ripple effect. That it, it's it's amazing how you've come into the blockchain space, and you know, you're, you're doing like you know, this is a service and stuff like that. That uh, it's something again. I think socially. And naturally, you would progress to this. It's uh, obviously something that is in your wheelhouse. So, uh, but uh, Thanks, yeah, it's, it's awesome to see you, uh, yeah, involved here. Well, it's like you're my Obi Wan Kenobi in this. I feel like in some ways, I I schooled you on the rap business game, but like you schooled me in the blockchain space, and like that's what's up. That's we can learn from each other, bro. Equitable friendships all day, baby. That's exactly what it's about. Is there anything else you want to say before we drop the mic? Uh, just uh, I uh, anybody who's adopting blockchain technology is cool in my book. I'm really proud of you. Um, shout out to our weave. Uh, we out here. You know, rappers like to rock chains. I rock blockchains. Knock them out the box off Mount Gox, man. <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay, okay. True, true, true. Thanks, Bryce Case Jr. Remember to lock your Ardra tokens at Community XYZ because there's always a lot of exciting things happening with the DAO. And uh, we'll be back in two weeks with another exciting interview. Stay tuned. I'm Andrew. This has been the RCast. We'll see you next time. Thanks, y'all. <laughs>